When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Diverfad. This episode of Mother Folklore is brought to you by the show's generous supporters on Patreon. Supporters like Kara O'Brien, our 150th patron. Co gorgeous Kara, agus gura mila mila mahagat. Listeners who support Mother Folklore on Patreon get access to our Discord server where you can chat with the show's hosts and other listeners. You also get bonus episodes, blooper reels, and discounts on art by Kirsten Shield, and much, much more. We have an exclusive Patreon episode coming up soon that somehow ends up with Derek going batshit over roundabouts again. And we will soon also have a superb video episode all about Irish sign language. Check out patreon.com forward slash Derek for more details. And now, the show. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I am Derek O'Shea. And I'm Geraldine McAvoy. Hey, getting on, Geraldine? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Derek? I'm doing okay. Staying out of trouble. Uh, pl- planning a fifth birthday party. But apart from that, everything is cool fifth bananas. Fifth birthday party. I had a bouncy castle for my fifth birthday party, and I've never had a birthday party like it in my life since. <laughs> this is the thing. The stakes so are exciting. high. Five yeah. is, when I, is as good as birthday birthdays get. Mm-hmm. But, and then, yeah, it's, it's, it's all downhill from there. Yeah. Once, once school starts, it becomes like a, a major bureaucratic nightmare. Yeah. You know, well, you, get, yeah, you have to you have to invite people, and yeah, you gotta you gotta make sure all the moms come over and the kids with the uh, the uh, the like allergies. You know, they're all like identified ugh. clearly. Who has a peanut allergy? <laughs> Identify herself. <laughs> I have a theory that all allergies are made up. Yeah, I have a friend who has that theory. So <laughs> I think she's it from is. Vietnam, and she's like, "That's a Western thing. <laughs> it's made up by Westerners to sell food." <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the, I suppose I mean yes. I mean we laugh, and maybe that that's me at my most daddish. But there, there I see there are um, links between uh, cultural perceptions of yeah. health, healing. Uh, what what is is the purpose yeah. of of herbalism and medicine to yeah. improve wellness or to decrease sickness? These are conceptual yeah. things that maybe um, we don't even think about because they're so immersed in a certain way of looking at the world. And there's also, as you said, the dad aspect of it as. Um there was no peanut allergies in my days because they died. <laughs> people, people just died for some reason. Yeah. We never asked any questions. <laughs> but, yeah. And we're not talking about peanuts today, but what we are talking about is, I mean, something we've, we are going to be talking about a range of other things, similar to like what, what might happen at a five-year-old's birthday party, storytelling, you know, the, the beginnings of language, where, where language doesn't actually have rules and walls yet. Um, the whole strain, the whole... The world between worlds and also the great way that me children don't actually aren't as bothered by difference as adults are that these things are learned so we which something a guest we've wanted to have on for a very long time and we're thrilled to join us not for an interview for a chat for a discussion for a um uh a, a free-range wandering of ideas is the writer owned of arjun thank you very much it's nice Hello. to be here yeah, we're very excited to have you. As Derek said, we've been kind of waiting to do this for, for quite a while, so we're very excited today. Sure, what better time than now? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's convenient in one sense to sort of pull people <laughs> to bed. You know, you don't have to leave your, your living room or your, your bedroom or whatever, the, the cupboard under the stairs to do to do podcasting. It's quite nice. <laughs> oh, and we, um, some, of our listeners, some of our listeners may not be familiar with your work, but a couple of years ago you wrote a, a book called uh, Why the Moon Travels. Mm-hmm. Published by Scheme Press, uh, a, a wonderful, a wonderful organisation who've uh, who've just done some done some great work, bringing uh, bringing uh, I guess a, a variety of voices to a wider wider audience. Yeah, and I think they they specialise in promoting kind of uh, minority voices into a platform that's usually I suppose very kind of cisgendered, Irish kind of settled normative kind of kind of structures. And mm-hmm. um, I'm delighted to work with them. They've actually been an absolute pleasure, and. Um, I, I think we need more of it, because um, especially at the, at the moment, if we look at the, our bookshelves, is, is the voices that we usually see and hear and kind of connect with are very similar to our very own. 
which means mm. that, that we, we aren't really opening ourselves up to the wider views of life and history and how we connect and prior times disconnect. Uh, definitely, because it's something that I mean comes up a lot. Uh, I know in my work, when we're looking like, looking at Irish words and uh, word origins, people will say, "Well, there's no evidence of this thing happening before this certain date." And it's like, "Well, that's who's making, who's owning the evidence, who's controlling the evidence, and who's writing the evidence down." <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I was at a, a conference a few years ago and there was a it was a minority languages conference and there was a woman talking about uh, Wikipedia, actually. I don't know, we've talked about Wikipedia before and like there's loads of minority language Wikipedias, but to have a Wikipedia page, you need to have sources. And like if you're trying to source a particular issue in a minority language that maybe is only relevant to that minority culture, or that minority language, it's really hard to find sources. So that you have this like majority of like Wikipedia pages are from a certain group of people. Mm. I think she said something like middle class, like middle aged men who have disposable income to have a laptop and time to write a Wikipedia page. So uh, you have this dominance on of, of discourse that like you're saying, like you, you, you get minority voices that are so important to round out, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think especially when it comes to language, because um, obviously um, the, the, the stories themselves from the, the Minkeros, Irish Traveller community, and part of our language is a part of the stories. And when mm. it comes to our language, I mean, it's so incredibly well-researched, but the, those, those archives usually remain within the kind of the hands of academia. Because we know the language is a cant or gammon, depending on which region you're from. And within the, that realm, it's known as shelter, which isn't the word native to us, um, or it was for own understanding, but it was applied by Charles Leyland back in the 1800s and has, has maintained that kind of that presence. So, um, yeah, and unfortunately, I think, I think that kind of the socio-political sphere of kind of other people who aren't us deciding who we are and the value of our words and the critique of them and sometimes of them having access to information we can't access, um, it, kind of can, it can seem to trump the community's understanding. And, and develop narratives and a kind of recognition to almost kind of going, like, if we allow other people to define us, very rarely do they define us in a way that is authentic to us. It's their version of us rather than our version of who we are ourselves. Oh, Jesus, we're getting heavy already, aren't we? No, but you're so right. <laughs> oh my God, I was like, yes, yes, hitting all the points. But it's so true. It's like that phrase that comes from, I think it's popularised in disability activism, but nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. But you see these minority communities all the time that are like denied access to their own research or their own history. Or, you know, like you said, that like I'm familiar with that word shelter because, you know, I would come across it in my own research just kind of tangentially uh, with the, the Minkery or traveling community. And it's always usually shelter. Late, lately, it's becoming more, you, you see references to Cantagammon, but like it, the, the, the academic articles available to me, <laughs> maybe they're just open source ones or the ones that my university has uh, subscription to, but it's always shelter. And like to hear that that's not that's not how people describe themselves. And that's completely written out of yeah. it. You would never know if you were just looking at it from a, an objective perspective. No, no. And it's almost like it, it takes the, the settled normative view as being the, the standard one. It's almost that's the one that people have confidence in. Rather than if you actually speak to people from the community going, we recognise the word and where it comes from. But it's not a word we actually proactively use. And, and if we do use it as a way of like saying, we're going to recognize that that's your language use. So we're just trying to support the one going, going, you got it wrong. That's not the best conversation you want to start with. Um, yeah, but so it, it, it's complicated. But I think that it's it's nothing that's un, un, unheard of or unknown or new to anyone from an external source investigating. Because when it comes to anything to do with travelers, um, I mean, I've come across at least 26 PhDs on, 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 on travelers from culture, religion, birth rates, Genetics. Mm. I mean, you name it. We probably have someone who has studied us, and um, that information very rarely comes back to us or benefits us in any way. And and it becomes almost like we're a community of kind of the, the people kind of almost curious of to level off kind of almost voyeurism, and yeah. there were the subjects of interest and this secret world. And you're kind of going, no, it's not secret. Like trust me, the vast majority is boring. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really boring. Um, <laughs> like, but I love all these exposés every so often. And kind of going, especially like like a photographer went in and they go discover the secret world. And you're kind of going. No, no, no. I mean, like, no, like my Friday nights are, trust me, are no more exciting than yours. They're just coming from a, like a slightly different place. Yeah. But that's not what people want. That's not what sells. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's only secret because you're not looking in the right spots. Or you're, you're not caring. Yeah, and even the language. Like, if, if you do any research, even on Wikipedia, we mentioned earlier, it's a secret language. I have 11 dictionaries. It's not secret. Do you know? If people want to go and do research on something, like, you can find a whole host of information there on it however it is the practice is very is very much seen as a closed practice of use rather than yeah. a secret one and, and that comes from a whole history of oppression repression identity politics 
and um, and also how people the, the language was very much used openly and because of shifting with our communities it was used primarily as, as not only as a communication tool but one that kept people safer especially in spaces that didn't have mm. power control influence um, be it political or kind of social and um, yeah so they had shifted the, the definition at times of the, of the language but I do like the idea of the language being especially from the wider concept of the language being the secret and what the secret really means that it's actually about settled people because you know it's not that we we decide to use our language differently it's like going your language is actually about us because you have to create yeah. this language because like we're here you're going this is maybe we're on a different road than yourselves and it's just as valid but no no like the Congress is almost going no it has to be about settled people because we were only held in contrast rather than people of difference and exactly. that's those differences can be comparison differences and beautiful ones rather than the ones that we draw towards each other in conflict I find that to be such a, a a weird sort of common view that people you see it sometimes where you see like viral videos of like there's people speaking. Uh, I know there's one where there, I think there's two people speaking Korean on a bus in the United States and this woman gets like really belligerent about it, yelling at them for speaking it. And I mean, I'm sure that I've experienced it speaking Irish. People got really annoyed because they were like, you're talking about me. And I'm like, you are not. I don't care enough about you to talk about you. <laughs> you know, this is not about you. But people just get this. I think it's a. It's a majority view and a monolingual view very often as well that they're like, oh, this this other language must must very much be directed at me because, of course, I am the centre of the universe. So why wouldn't it be about me? Mm. So it's such a, a like a oh, it's it's just such a, a non nuanced view of other people's language to think that it's secret and therefore kind of like something to be suspicious of as well, like and bad and like sinister almost that it's being used to sort of subvert people and it's just so rotted and an oversimplification of a rich culture like mm. No and I think actually the, and th- that kind of like subtlety and diversity has led to actually to conflicts within research mm. which is the, there was a research done in Ennis probably around 10 years ago and it was done within a training kind of setting which means that people doing the, the, the study were people of authority and it was with a large tribe population and they decided that travellers weren't really using the language so they mustn't be, be able to speak it and you're kind of, kind of sitting down and kind of going well, you're in a like, settled normative situation where they're the people in power. Chances are they didn't want to come across as rude. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Just maybe they can actually speak their own language, but would have considered being rude to you. And um, yeah, so like I, well, that wasn't even considered. It's like, oh, no, can't evidence has been used. So it's almost yeah. like these barriers and kind, of, and kind of like historical presences aren't in play. Um, and there's different things as well, which I apologize in advance. Um, as a community, we have interlacing uh, language structures. So it's not considered rude. To, to actually interrupt people. So, mm-hmm. and I, I, I obviously, my partner's from the self community, and I've learned for years to do the whole hold it, hold it, <laughs> nod, reaffirm. Um, because, we were, because, however, for, to travelers, often seen kind of go, but not interrupting and not doing the kind of, I get you, you know, it's almost seen like, oh, they're not interested, you know? And, um, yeah. you know, and this politeness of everyone has a turn, it's like, no, 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 like, we don't look, I can hold three conversations at the same time. This is not unusual. <laughs> Um, no, again, especially if you're in a large setting, people would have traditionally been around campfires or very close yeah. kind of physical spaces and having multiple conversations, especially when you think of gender and age dynamics and intergenerational kind of concepts, like those subtleties happen. And for people who haven't spent a lot of time with travellers, it's a little bit confusing. For travellers, it's just it's another Tuesday. Yeah, that's so interesting, though, in terms because I know I, I read something recently. I think it's common in Jewish culture as well to like interrupt yeah, people. And, any closed, in a cl- yeah. closed community. You know, and it's not seen as rude. No, no. And I, I, yeah. I think silence is seen as rude. So I'm telling you something. You're sitting there looking at me. I'm like, God, what are they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> did, not, did not hear what I'm saying. And even the expression of, like, of, of emotions, like the, the partner's, uh, his grandmother was a wonderful woman. She passed away in her 90s. Oh. And I, I had this shock of how different cultures cope with grief. His family were so controlled and so respectful I think I, I, I was probably the most physically upset person in, in, in that space. Um, I, as afterwards, like, oh, we're going to go for tea and sandwiches. I'm like, um, who is throwing themselves into the grave? Now, who do we need to keep outside, not to keep quiet? Because even within our community, a la- la- large amount of people will come to a funeral, but not enter the, a church because it seems to be they want the family to know that there, there's respect and care, but don't want to intrude on the, the, the sensitivity right. and the potential outpouring of, of emotions. Like mm. men are totally expected to cry. It's, we're actually con- concerned if men aren't showing emotions, unless they're holding it. Yeah. And, that, you know, and then when you consider like one in 11 people in the community do pass by suicide, it's usually a red flag. So people encourage this outpouring of emotion, this idea of like you need to feel, you need to feel it. So people will go to churches, but only the immediate family usually will go inside. 
Right. Because all okay. that kind of subtleties on the phone. We're here to show and, and know that they were here, but we know that you're going to have, have a wide range of feelings, uh, sounds, emotions, and even keening. Keening was common in the community up until the 80s. That's wow. tradition. Okay. Yeah, and it's um, one of something that my great grandmother, um, that was her, kind of her profession. Um, and so all the kind of subtleties. So when you don't get those kind of strains, because I, le- I left, because um, my own bias as well, I left uh, Dan's grandmother's funeral going, second people are heartless. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, rather than like, no, just dealing with it differently, you know, yeah. like uh, and and the, the controls on public life and home life are so very different. You know, with travelers, they're they're a little bit more consistent. Yeah, they say that you, the worst thing you can see is if you if, if you do a knuckle, which means that you have like two faces. And um, I did so if, you should be who you are at home as as outside. Otherwise, right. going on. And with other mm. people, because obviously society, the influence of like the colonies and all the stuff they do, going. You have to be this person to the world and at home you be this other person. I yeah. think that happens with languages as well. You now, what ah. we choose to share and how we say, share with the world can be very different than how we actually picture and potter around at home. Exactly, yeah. That's fascinating because we had, um, I suppose, um, last year we had a guest, Neve Lear, on and she was, um, like, she has, a, she's uh, grew, grew up in England with an Irish, uh, with an Irish mother and English father and she talked about the, one of the massive differences between her Irish friends and family and her English friends and family is this attitude to death, how something like RIP.ee doesn't really um, exist, the, the social function of a funeral, mm. the the interest in funerals and the actual, um, the, the attendance of politicians of funerals all these kinds of things that mm. it just it yeah. does not register in the same way and even funeral scenes in english films versus funeral scenes in irish literature are just like the architecture is completely different and have a carries completely different significance yeah. that i think be- it's such a, an indicator of difference in culture like uh, mm. how people handle death like that that that's a really uh, strong indicator because i know here my boyfriend no Fiance. <laughs> this is new. As, as of last week. Sorry, I keep <laughs> forgetting. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my fiance um, is not Irish. He's Finnish. And he's been to like maybe two funerals in his life. To me, that is bizarre. That is the straight. Because like, and I went with to one Finnish funeral and it was beautiful, but it was different, man. It was really different. Um, uh, yeah. I, and it was a long time waiting. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, you know, there was you know, people were there by invite. And I was like, But it is such a strange thing that that, like it's such a particular thing per culture that like people have such different ways of dealing with death. And it's such I think it's so connected, like you said, to language and the way we express ourselves and the the way we express emotion in each culture is very different. Mm -hmm. And that's coded into our identities, I think. Yeah, I think as well, especially the I think the just the Irish funeral traditions are very in line with Irish psyche, which means like there's the public declaration of death. People Mm -hmm. around acknowledge it. Yeah. There's, there's a presentation of the body, so there's no opportunity for denial. There's the celebration of the life. You know, there's a whole part of burying the dead and, and being the people who put down the first soil. So you're kind of structurally, obviously COVID times are different, but structurally you're kind of guided through that whole process of you can't deny it, you can't repress yeah. it, you can't like, the community are supporting it and recognising it. With you. You're exposed, you know, to the body as that kind of finality. You're part of the burial process rather than, because I know like with extended family in England, and the first thing that when people pass, not only sorrow, but like there's a, there's a, there's a weighted wave of exhaustion because I got yeah. six weeks. Oh, God. Yeah. Like six weeks, do you know? Like going six weeks to bury someone. Like, oh. and, I, and our families do vigil. So like yeah. people will be with, and if you can't be with the body, someone is parked outside the, the we call them dead houses, or people call them morgues. Um, no, we still call them dead houses. So you're parked outside the dead house. And um, and with some of weight, you know, and then when the body either goes to the home, which majority of people outside of Dublin would, would if you can facilitate a home, either a family home or like you know they will, they will try, and the body would usually has to pass where it was most in life. So since that kind of ending of that cycle, and same thing with like um, with, with the church, like there's people on vigil, and I cannot cope with the idea of a six weeks vigil. I know, like yeah. I don't know how I, I it's. I mean, I don't know. What are they organising? Why does it take six weeks? I don't know. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it's like you said, it's just different. It's not It's not necessarily bad, but like it is a no. weird experience when you're not exposed to it. You're like, what yeah. is this? is not what I, like you said, you have an expectation of the way that it goes and then it doesn't meet those expectations. So you're like, what is happening? But I think one of the, I, I, I guess, from what I would assume, given the keening tradition and stuff, storytelling is probably a big part of, of funerals as well. Um, it oh, definitely is in, in settled traditions. Telling yeah, oh, stories about the person, at least. Yeah, but it comes a twist, though. Um, like, um, like you, you, can't, you can't speak bad of the dead. Okay. But yeah. you can't lie about them. 
Oh man! Oh yeah. wow! Yeah. That, that's, that's an so impasse. So you have to you say things like going. So well, we had an interesting history, didn't we? <laughs> 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 you know, they had a strong personality. You know? <laughs> they were certainly known to be a character in the local pub. <laughs> and um, you know, so, there's, there's, so like the whole thing they're going like you can't like the, the person out there to defend themselves, um, but you don't something they don't become saints, Joe, because yeah. that seems to you're fabricating their experiences and you're altering it. So the main thing is kind of going like don't talk to the dead, but like do do, do not tell lies about them. You know, like do like the whole, you know like kind of if they if they were a difficult person, that's actually who they were, and that's more yeah. truthful to say, yeah, we did not get on, you know, at all, mm. but I'm still here to be respectful to the, them and their family, mm. and that seemed to be far more authentic and truthful far from like going oh I'll miss them forever you're like going you wouldn't really yeah you know? <laughs> 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 last week I doubt you're going to miss them you know so it's that kind of like trying to maintain this authentic you know the person is who the person is you know yeah and um and I do think especially when it comes to storytelling because one of our we've we've kind of three kind of orbiting rules around storytelling and um, one is you always tell it where the story came from you know, because, okay. because the story isn't just yours even the came up in your mind you, you, you give the setting and the origin and the idea because like stories pass through through us they don't belong to us um, the, the second one would be kind of like you have the you have the responsibility to pass the story on because you might be the, the, the last person to ever inherit that story so it comes with a very real responsibility to pass it on to someone and even if you've only just passed on once it needs to be passed on and the third one is that no matter how it's told either it be about kind of fantasy or, kind of, or, or fact it's always told as truthful um, because all stories do carry a real sense of truth within them and then other people can decide what truth they're going to take for them. But those tales and stories and retellings, they're, they're told in that sense of like going, it did happen. You know, even yeah. if you're kind of going, yes, that giant hawk did come down to the sky that day and steal that ring. And mm. people can have their own sense of like going, yeah. reality, you know, you know, kind of mythology, kind of, kind of the idea of the imagination. But you allow the people that decision rather than make a decision for them. So you say it in a way that's truthful. That's cool. That's fantastic. I know I'm just talking about there about not lying about the dead and I guess mm. the, the kind of the, the the appropriate kind of passage of grief. One of the stories in in Why the Moon Travels is about uh, grieving but not too much or grieving and then but you know but not excessively. The yew tree. The yeah, the yew tree. And, and okay, I interrupt again, but keep going. Please, no, 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 I was inviting, I was inviting you to elaborate on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I so that idea would be like the, um, the anything that's stagnant is dead. The mm. only only still thing like anything with life is never still. So the idea with like emotions are real and are supposed to be felt. And one of the most difficult emotions we all kind of feel is grief and sorrow and loss. Yeah. And um, but those are emotions that we're supposed to actually explore through supposed to feel or supposed to actually share you're supposed to supposed to verbalize and kind of manifest in your life otherwise you're holding on to it and what that's doing is bringing more debt to you as a person and um, so the community the idea of being kind of in care or traveler isn't just around nomadism as a kind of which incidentally is illegal you know in ireland or since 2001 restriction acts of nomadism um so, so I, you know so the, being a traveler isn't just around physical nomadism it's about it's about how we view the world and that everything around us is transient. It's like when I, when myself and my partner bought our, our, our home, my father came to me and said, um, you're the first generation of our family that was ever at risk of homelessness. Because wow. our family always self-accommodated. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Yeah, you know, like we, we were literally the first people that could have been homeless in, in, yeah. in, in, in his line. And because other families, they used to accommodate it. People would have like, um, you'd have all sorts of different ways to accommodate. And people would have created homes and then together as a collective. And that was really kind of a shock. And that's, that's the reverse of most most people understand our travelers. The idea of the, one of the things that go with accommodation issues and, and you know, then this issue and this issue, rather than thinking about culture. And um, so when we're, when we're thinking about people, there's also we think about which like the lens, the community. Also, it's 40,000. There's obviously going to be a huge amount of diversity. But like, the cultural lens of which we view the world is one of actual movement. Um, not just of ourselves, but of this world around us. And things yeah. that don't move and um, become very problematic either within ourselves or the lives around us. That's a really healthy coping, a coping mechanism, though, I think, if you have this attitude that, like, you have this bad experience, you need to you need to feel it, you need to acknowledge it, and you need to... So in, in order to let it go and, mm-hmm. like, not let it manifest yourself, which I think people could probably benefit from that attitude. Like, it's... it's mm-hmm. really share. You're supposed to share it. Like, yeah. your, your life story needs to be shared. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be shared. Um, but we don't have that space anymore that we used to have when the wider community, in the traffic community, are people coming together collectively to share. Like when the, the remaining ones within the Irish society usually will be public houses. But not everybody finds those accessible for many different reasons. 
Um, but at the same time, going, where do we actually sit around outside of our immediate people to share ideas, understandings, thoughts that aren't in a very set manner? Mm. You know, like because if you go to places, they're going like, "Oh, now it's your turn and your turn." When yeah. do we actually just share? And for our community, a lot of times that was campfires, yeah. and it, you know, it was the storytelling moments. It was, and like my the, my home house and um, there are Kenya, like kind of um, like that place would be when anything happens, everyone gravitates that to the home house. And so I think like on the second train station, there's re- there's really not well excluding COVID, but pre COVID times that we really you'd always have someone visiting chatting talking dropping in checking out all fun stuff and um like and not to have that i think the the world is so much poor in itself yeah you know and it's something that we've done to each other we actually have done it we've deliberately decided to isolate ourselves from people around us because it seems to be easier but you're kind of going you're giving up absolute treasure of understanding and insight for what you think is comfort when at times most people aren't comfortable in that way because we are social creatures yeah exactly yeah I wonder if, if you don't mind talking about it, you mentioned there that nomadism made illegal. Did you say in 2001? Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> with the Trespass Act, mm. um, the, which is the housing um, miscellaneous, I can send you all those details. So what it was is that it set up this structure that Ireland recognised the right, nomadic rights of travellers, as is Europe. And it found it a bit problematic around how travellers don't have a traditional cultural view of land ownership. Yeah. Like you, can, you can take care of land, you can mine land, you can be responsible for land, but that actually isn't yours. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like yours for a while. So they wouldn't intrude on people's kind of spaces and that, like traditional that, but like little boreings, little downloads. And what happened is in 2001, we had the creation of the NTAC, which is the National Travel Accommodation Consultancy Committee, which led on to LTAC, the Local Travel Accommodation Committee, and which are responsible for the funding and the finances and the structures of delivering of, of travel accommodation called a TAP program, you know, travel accommodation program, you know, in all the local authorities. However, failure to deliver comes with no consequence. There's low, no legal measure. Of course. Of and if course. you were ever out and about and you see these lovely scenic areas and there's these odd boulders in places, you go, what's that boulder there? Chances are that was a traditional uh, halting site or staying place or what we call molly uh, for a traveller. And over the years, they've all come up because you can go down these places and it's like random boulders all over the so place. So are the boulders then, there to, to prevent people from... stop people moving <gasps> in. And then it even gets even more Sorry. complicated because what LTAX was set up in order to set up the accommodation. Most accommodation were set up in places that were either very industrial or outside of the um, mm. social pathways of access or like, uh, like around bus routes and kind of um, local shops, mostly industrial areas. Like one of the oldest, um, one of the oldest uh, sites in Ireland is Labra Park, which is in Dublin. And Labra is the patron saint of beggars. So you can just imagine how they were being created. So when the LTAC was set up, they'll say, this will create the accommodation avenues for travellers. However, yeah. in the last 18 years, when it was reviewed and the government a couple of years ago said, yeah, we need a new programme um, and it just hasn't manifested yet. There was an underspend of 72 million of course, on basic yeah. accommodation. So what you do is that the local authority itself gets to decide what level of accommodation is going to be set. So it's not set on need, it's not set on next five years plan, it's not set up how many people are actually homeless or at risk of homeless. It's set up on what the, what the council decides, this is what we're going to deliver. And then they under-deliver by 72 million. Yeah. And that money just goes back to the coffers. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, because when people think about travellers, they kind of go and always go to the issues because that's what people we end up to always talking about because there are so many issues. But you're guaranteed yeah. that people actually were provided. An example would be, if you go to Uncle Tran in Galway, yep. if anyone in your listeners are from around Galway City, one of the sites are in the middle of Barren Waste, which means that the road you go into your site, into your home, is the same road that the, the lorries full of rubbish go in. Yeah. And the site is here and all around the site is a dump. And there's all this stuff and there's the recommendations and callings yeah. of the council and judges left, right and centre to do things. And the failure to deliver, there's no legal mechanism to counterbalance those structures. The councils are sued quite regularly and they pay out because they have the money for it. And you, ha- you have generation upon generation of people who are in a dysfunctional setting because the day of halting sites were set up so you could actually move. Like you're yeah. here and there's a space in Clare, a boot to space, but you can't move. Yeah. You can only get in if you're homeless and then you can't get out, which means you give up your space and the local authorities just have to recognise it. So they're literally a ways to exclude and put people in the corner. And then there's this awful thing that we, we often talk about, which is 1963 um, itinerant yes. report, mm-hmm. uh, which has haunted us off years. And, and it was held as actual policy up until 98. And it called, um, and one of the, 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 the commission itself was done by people who didn't speak to Travers and went about Travers. So it was done entirely from a charity model. And the report itself wasn't as destructive as what policies followed it. Mm. I mean, we had Charlie Hawkey who did the opening heading and he called for like, he used a statement to find a solution. 
Yeah. And this is 20 years of that. He used it in a slightly different context of wiping us off the, of, of, of the world. He still said it, though. And yeah. then they would be, we're failed, settled people, rather than actually your genetics in the show alone. We're just a separate people. And we believe, as specific generations, that we were just part of the original people who were nomadic. Because yeah. nomadic seems to be very kind of like human. And we just didn't, we didn't become sedentary. Like, so rather yeah. than being like, did, like, we are kin to each other, but due to lack of information and awareness that we like, we're set up to be kind of, kind of um, foes rather than kind of historically, we, we do and we'll always belong to each other. Tired of tuning into negative news? Well, get your week off to the right start with the Happy Broadcast. Let's help you focus on the positive things happening in our world. Each episode will feature positive news, some mental health tips, and we'll hear from our Happy Broadcast community about what makes them happy. The podcast is hosted by me, Amy O'Dwyer, in collaboration with Mauro Gatti and his popular social channel, The Happy Broadcast. Episodes are out every Monday and you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's help spread some positivity. I think, because I remember getting really frustrated back in June around the the. George Floyd uh, protests that were happening and there was all of this like resurgence of, of colonial histories and there was a discussion about statues in the UK and, and Irish people were kind of getting on board saying yeah it's terrible you need to take down those statues and I was like yeah but are we actually acknowledging our own past? Are we actually acknowledging that 20 mm-hmm. years after World War II Charlie Hawley's on record saying the final solution in relation to the traveller travelling community travellers and you know the things that have happened to deaf people over the years and we're just so keen to like I noticed it again when there was an outpouring of support, rightly so, for the Navajo community during the COVID crisis, right? So there was like people donating money because of the Choctaw Nation in during the famine. And at the same time, one of the communities most affected by COVID is travellers. And like, how can you not compare what's happening to Navajo people and indigenous community native to that land who are being treated, mistreated in their country and what's happening to travellers? It's the same thing. But when we see it in our own space, there's such a, I think you I mean, I'm sure you do. I, I know I see the discourse that travellers are so affected by this. There's still a discourse that like, oh, you're not, it's not a different thing. It's just yeah. failed settled no, people or whatever. We're deserving of that ill treatment, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah, and, and it's almost like we, like we somehow, like our history has been used to like, almost like we'll validate our, our yeah. behaviour towards it because we couldn't possibly of of inherited or been programmed into like racist behaviour. Like, oh, like, Absolutely. Like, you know, because there's three things we always ask people to do. I think it's always good for any minorities. One would be, um, what do you actually know about Travers? Have you ever done an audit of what you actually know about Travers? Mm-hmm. Second would be, what's the source of that information? Because most likely did not come from the curriculum. Very unlikely come from a travel specific source. And the third one is going, how have you validated it to be truthful? And again, when you actually sat, sit down and go through all the stuff you know, it becomes very problematic of like going, I actually know very little about travellers. Yeah. I know what the media tells me and what common narratives tell me and what the wider kind of like discourse is about kind of travellers. But actually, do I actually know travellers? Like, do I know what the cultural like aspect or individual kind of lives of these 40,000 people or less than 1% of the population? Turns out not. And one of the things that struck me greatly, and I think Ireland genuinely cried about it in a real way, was Carrick Mines. Yeah. When 10 people, including a pregnant woman, lost their lives. Yeah. But people didn't follow the story didn't follow that afterwards that family the surviving family mm. were um had mobs protesting them moving into an opposing field yeah that the accommodation they did receive for over two years was in a car park beside a dump that was locked you know so we suddenly we had our pouring and we had this grief and we had that oh it's terrible but also there was no recognition that they were paying rent for that field and um, mm. they were there eight years and the local authority never even attempted to locate them a home you know yeah. and because of the healthy safety standards of uh, holding sites the, the, the legal responsibilities of maintaining them and the safety of them is nearly non-existent. So there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of water under the bridge between us all, but not something that we can't rebuild on. But the, yeah. the common language of stuff around travellers is very, and especially when it comes to, like, they just say the K word, um, yeah. the amount of people who would go into the etymological stru- uh, structure and backing of that word and say, I wasn't talking about this. I was actually like, you shouldn't be upset because that word is about uh, people who remove animals from certain places and going, mm. I'm also a gay man. I've never had someone in any way attempt to justify the use of the F word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah mm. I'm not going to go, come on now. Yeah. If, if you're working you that hard like, to <laughs> yeah, defend the yeah, use of it. Mm. <laughs> harmful things can be harmful, but suddenly when it's used towards certain community, yeah. it's not harmful. It's just we, like, we just dismiss it as a, a, as a norm. 
But it is, it's frighteningly normalised. Like it is, it is so, so normalised that like it, it's, it's, oh, it's probably the most normalised slur in Ireland. Like it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Totally I, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And I suppose the, the, the way in which it gets bandied around and particularly by people who consider themselves to be progressive in every other area. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, it, it, I think that's where people, I suppose the fact that people who are, who, who, yes, who do have uh, Black Lives, Lives Matter banners in their Twitter handles and, yeah, and, 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 and are interested in, 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 in lots of other particular causes and, yeah. and take great pride in it and actually maybe a single part of their identity, but will still just you know, maybe use like, yes, well, I guess use that that and other slurs, and a lot of this is is that. I mean, there's I suppose the, the representations of of travelers in popular culture, particularly uh, in the maybe the past ten fifteen years. I mean, whether there's their films or whether their um, faux documentaries in on British television have been incredibly unhelpful. No, it, it has been, but also um, I like I'm not dismissing people's discrimination because once we know better, we know better. We should yeah. be better. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't totally get when people say that word. I'm kind of drunk up thinking, going, actually, that word is considered really inappropriate, and and, and but sometimes that can go askew as well. For instance, they go in one of my roles, I manage an education centre at Clover Hill, and we had a new teacher come in, and she like she was a little bit flustered because we have a high population of travellers in the education centre, and she's like, yeah. "What's it like working with itinerants?" I said, "No, no, 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 no." Um, I think you might mean traveller because that's the per- preferred term. And she was yeah. okay, okay. What is like working with itinerant travellers? <laughs> So nearly she there. Was trying. <laughs> she was trying. So yeah. I think that once people know, once they know better, they can do better. However, there's that huge dismissal um, around language and the idea of no, because I've decided in this way that I was only using this way, it doesn't have an effect. And kind of yeah. going, I know the mm. F word comes from bundling of wood or wood twigs for a fire. Yeah. Doesn't mean I lashed around because we have recognition that word has migrated. And it does show you the deep hostility yeah. towards the community when one of the worst insults and most, I suppose, I don't think they're not entirely the word, but one of the most widespread insults that we consider you like a traveller. Like yeah. you're such a, you're um, like, because what a lot of people mean by using the K word is they go, you're such a traveller. You know? Yeah. And like, so I think there's a lot of work that needs to happen here in the country. And that's one of the reasons why we're obviously working on things like the, the, the Travel, Culture and History and Education Bill. Because since 2018, we, with the NCCA, we did an audit. I was very kind of blessed to be a part of that around the, the curriculum. And they came back because actually there's no... There's nothing about travellers in the curriculum in the junior and senior cycle. Then you're kind of yeah. going, well, like, of course there's going to be a deficit of what people know because they only know this stuff. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Like, like yeah. where are you getting your other information? Like, where's the counterbalance? Um, but, but at the same time, people, people have enough maturity and a sense of awareness to know that harmful things are harmful. And yeah. we need to have the, we need to give ourselves permission to know that we have failed and we will continue to fail, each of us, including myself, around different terms and terms of grow and how we approach different communities, aspects communities and intersection of them. But that doesn't excuse us from just not trying. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned there's some some language and uses to, to refer to, to, to travellers, but because um, I know you have used the term minker. Is it minker? Yes. I always, yeah, yes. I'm never sure about the pronunciation. I've read it mm. a bunch of times. No, no, it's minker, which minker. is singular. Um, okay. Or somebody's plucked with it. It's minkeri, which is the collective. Yeah. And then there's pavi, which is also. Okay. And then we have it's, it's the whole, the whole, we don't have family trees. Um, we have like brambles. So an example would be my father's, my father was uh, his, his younger generation of his family and he's at those 25 years between the eldest member and the, and the youngest member. Wow. Mm-hmm. So when he came of age, his elder siblings had gone to England. So they would not be considered part of the Tribly, which is family. He'd still be a brother, that's still an uncle, but he's not part of the family, the Tribly. He's oh. one of our Gilles, which is like he's one of our people. So you have the Tribly or Gilles, yeah, and then you have like the Beaufair, which is people of the wider community. Um, and then, you know, you know, so there's different ways in which people relate yeah. to each other. So um, family they, structures then and the way you can constitute family yeah. within inverted commas is different then in, yeah, because we're in not the language. Based. Like we're based wow, around okay. the idea of being a communal sense. Now, yeah. that could be wonderful and supportive, but also that can be used to, to put unfair responsibilities. For example, would be some traveller in the country does something, right? It's applied yeah. to all travellers. Yeah. Like, that's, that's like I would be, in some people's minds, for a reason, are responsible for 40 other thousand people. I just think it's amazing. And there's people I don't know or anything about, but suddenly going, travel this, your travel, or tell us about this, why, why, tell us about this travel story. You're like going, haven't a clue who they are, what's going on there. But yeah. interesting that you're asking me to explain it to you. You know, look at that, you know? Mm. And, and, it's, and it's, sometimes it's done in a very, like, authentic, inquisitive place which we can explore. But sometimes it's like kind of going, I want you to take on the guilt and responsibility of this action. Yeah. You know? And you're mm-hmm. kind of going, no, not but, but our, our family structures would be very different. It's going, I, my family would recognize us having three grandmothers. We'd have my father's father, 
We have Granny, which is my mother's mother, and we also have Nanny Cack, which is a a real kind of a fire relation who lived like with those around us and was a part of our family, and she would be known as uh, is a grandmother. While not actually a grandmother, yeah. if we're having a celebration, she would be named because yeah. she's a part of our family. Yeah. And same thing with like the inherited people going. Um, like life expectancy of a traveler is 61, the median age is, is 38, which means you have a 50 chance of living on uh, 38. So there's a lot of people who have been um, like the old fostering systems into the families, which is very Celtic. Mm. Um, so we'd have people in our family who weren't directly members of like the direct, kind of the, the, I suppose, genetic family, but we were part of our, our triplet because we've yeah. grown up with them. So that, so that kind of, that difference can be really problematic for people who, who rely very much on the, the legal structure, because most family structures are legal. Father, the inheritance, the mother, the inheritance, the family, the home, the land. And when you're from a different kind of um, almost tribal kind of community setting, those lines aren't as branches, they're more brambles. That's nice. But that's, that's so interesting in terms of like how we, how we understand laws and the way we codify things is so rooted in language. Because if our language is, we'll say English, uses family in a very sort of genetic sense mm-hmm. or legal senses in marriage, that's not necessarily mapped in other languages and no. we're losing that when we don't look at other languages and we're sort of taking things for granted as this is what a family with an inverted comma means because you have one language. So, you know, exploring other languages sort of broadens your horizons. Yeah, and you're guaranteed that you have family members. You have members of your of, of family that you haven't recognised as family. Of course. Because you don't yeah. have the language for it. Yeah. And if you sit down, you're kind of going, actually, they are as close as any sibling could be. Yeah, you know, and, and then mm-hmm. you rob yourselves of that intimacy, of that connection, and then open yourself like going, "You are a family member of mine." Oh, that's so, so lovely! You actually are a member of my family. That's so you lovely. Know? <laughs> I know, I know, and I suppose sitting down and actually doing that, going, "Are we relying on, on the? Are we relying on the legal family, or are we yeah. relying on our actual family?" And then having that recognition, telling people they're a part of your family, is beautiful. Yeah, you know? and, and they might, they might, like, I mean, like, think about it. Do your own audit on who is in your family, because your family is not just of the genetics of blood. Your family are, are, are your people. Yeah. You know, and, they, and they need to recognise. And that's one of the things I think that very often comes up as well with, um, within, I suppose, the language structures, not just around family, it's around nicknames. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm very blessed around nicknames, right? So we oh. have this whole thing. Really, so we, obviously, everybody else, travellers have legal names. Like we all have yeah. legal names. And stuff. We also have community names that inside the community is very, very common to use. Most people will use by uh, reference. It seems to be slightly more insulting outside of the family, family <laughs> stuff structure because the scene is like kind of dismissal but unless you know the context is like my my nickname is Oni's own because my father's name is Oni so I am beyond blessed right I know people who are called like teapot scaldy butter and know like you know like you know as a reference you know and they said and, like, and like, we get out of my I can say they're going that's young John scaldy water's son right as because if I say that's John McDonough how many of them is there you know? <laughs> <laughs> John McDonough how many of them is there so you start doing the you know the references so nicknames mm-hmm. and nicknames also they're inherited and they do evolve over time and like different families. It's like yeah. one of my, my grandfather's name because he spent a little time in um, America. Um, he came back. He was known as, and then he's like he's named like he's you know his grandfather. My great grandfather's time in America and he came back and he named his son Texas, right? ah. which is a great name. Weird names in the family. And then my grandmother um, Teresa, who had blonde hair, she she was known as the Yellow Rose of Texas. Long oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. that's mm-hmm. class. Yeah, no, yeah, so for instance, so my mother would be going, going that's Kay, Yellow Rose of Texas daughter. Her father's Texas. And you're going, we know exactly who he is. Yeah. We know where he is in the family lines. We know where he's from. Rather than I say, oh, you know, like, that's Kay. You know, and her mother was, a, like, her mother was Spin McDonough Riley. No, you're never going to find them. But if you use those references, <laughs> everybody really knows. Find people, yeah. Know? Yeah, and, and most of them are done really, really respectfully. And I think that a couple of years ago, we even had... Um, there was a traveller who was running for election and he went by his community name, which is Jonesy. Oh, nice. Um, his name is Martin Ward, but his community name is Jonesy. Yeah. And, like, he, rec- and like, he ran, like, he recognised the community. You, didn't, you won't really ring him up going, hi, Martin. You go, hello, Jonesy. Because yeah. we know him. Know mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't know him, you'd say Martin. Um, and then with the wider community, they would say Martin. They wouldn't really call him Jonesy. Yeah. So th- those kind of those complications and subtleties, I find really interesting because no one has ever sat me down and told me going, this is how you refer to people. And it's you know, on different areas, but like we've grown up with it, so we've been able to pick up on those nuances. Yeah. And I guess that's an inherent thing nicknames. that you're never oh, going to get. I love nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> that's an inherent thing 
that you're never yeah. going to get from like no. anybody looking in. Like you have no. to be in, mm-hmm. you have to be an insider in the community to know how it works and who's who and who you're referring to. So unless you hear traveler voices, you're not actually understanding no. who is, jo- who are we talking about only zone? Who's that? Who's teapot? Yeah. You know, no one knows <laughs> unless yeah. you're listening to people. Yeah. And kind of the, and I suppose and how we, 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 over the time we've learned to codify, but some people do use their names. I probably, I think like Martin Bean's ward, and yeah. his name, and but the, your nickname comes from either is it's it's directly inherited and it's nuanced and changed for your generation, um, or it's from an experience that you've experienced. Yeah. Um. You know, so it's it's something that marks your life, and I always kind of think that same things like going like Satanta who for Colin, you know, that change of identity that can happen with someone can be known as something, an event can happen, and they suddenly they have a different name. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And yeah, and I think they're going that I think is such a beautiful way around language grows in the community. That, they engage with it differently. Yeah. And I think going, I think the, the wider community is such a loss not having that because people might have nicknames usually based around their surname. Yeah. But it's not really their nickname. It's kind of like, kind of like, like McGrath becomes Macker or something, you know, and you're kind of like going, but like, what's their actual, what's their nickname? Like, what's the event that really people thought captivated them, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm delighted I, you've mentioned the Satan to become, uh, become a Kukul and a nickname in, in this context because the actual, uh, I guess the, the, the the, tra- the traveler heritage of some of these myth mytho- mythology mythological stories is is often uh, airbrushed over mm-hmm. in academia. No, yeah, we grew up with all the, with all those characters from the especially those society uh, cycle. They were travelers. Like they, we weren't talking mm-hmm. about set people. You know, yeah. we, were, we were part yeah. of the stories too. And I think that sometimes people in the wider probably do, like don't really wouldn't really get that going. So you had a, you had a tribe of people who were nomadic and they were they were, tra- they were tradesmen or for hire. And had a different kind of codes of conduct around stuff, you know. And you don't really think that we might be somehow connected somehow. Yeah, you know? now that you say that. that. Logical. Yeah, yeah. This is this is like when archaeologists talk about the two men living together who were really good yeah. friends. Yeah, oh, they were great <laughs> friends, like, buried yeah. together, and holding I, hands. Like. Yeah, and of course, like we've no evidence that like people like Colin and Minot like, actually exist. They mm-hmm. might just exist mm-hmm. in the zeitgeist of the, of the people. But then just, but even that's even more problematic, which means if they didn't exist, you've gone to an extra length to push us out. Yeah. If, if, you, if you rose in someone's imagination and narrative, then to actually to exclude us from places. And um, like one mm-hmm. of the things, they, for instance, they go, we pop up and down in history all the time. And one of the things is that people find it a bit uh, problematic, going, there's periods of time in which travels aren't mentioned. And people are going, oh, they mustn't, mustn't have traveled. And rather than going, you know, how often do we actually talk about like the work of women during those periods of yeah. time? It happened. It just wasn't seen to be of value. We were so normalized in those events. Yeah. People weren't writing about us because we're just like, you might as well write about the door, you know, yeah. um, because we were just there. And we weren't seen to be of anything of interest because we we're so normal. And then that, that end time, the communities come under strife, like just say Cremonian times, famine times, and times. they were suddenly highlighted. Because, and, and as a community, like, we recognise that people from the wider community have joined us and we have migrations to the wider community, like nothing is stagnant. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, we have some examples of language and um, that has been theorised, it comes that during the penal times, one of the ways which survives in our stories that many of the surviving peace, uh, peace, uh, priests, or kunyas, as we say, travelled with travellers to get from diocese to diocese and would have done prayers and different things, but there's evidence of Latin. And among some of the older prayers yeah. that wouldn't have been directly formed within the, the, the church structures, you know, you know, the different ways the priests would have blessed and would have their own, you know, that you wouldn't have heard at mass. So there was stuff that seems to survive. And one of the theories is that, yeah, I mean, priests would have gotten around, but also a lot of travelers had a little bit more of a smoother movement because people were happy to see you go. And some people were very happy mm-hmm. to see you come. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when it comes to the idea of trade, like we're known as Minkair and, and Mink, uh, it often means like Mola. And in Australia, obviously that means bags. Or bag, as you know, but for us, the mall is hand. So we care of people of the, of the, of the craft. Oh, okay, and yeah. my favourite one is that everybody's absolutely fascinated with the idea of, of all the tinsmiths. And you go, okay, so you can imagine three families coming together at the same little village. Unless you have other skills, no one's getting fed. You know? <laughs> and, like, you know, and like even one of the things is like going, my mother's line, um, herbless, and we used to make colours, but also lacers, which means they used to stitch fine china back together. They, you know, nice. you never break china. You ever break China because it's bone? There's all these little bubbles and holes in it, and they Stitch would have examples of, of laced, relaced China in Turlock House in Mayo in the community museum. And it's it like on the back, you know it had been stitched because they they reinforced it. On the front, it looked like it was never broken. Wow, that's like that's fine skill. So the idea was that was some of the things that travelers would have done and come to places, but people don't really see the other the other narratives and the other skill sets because we think tinsmiths. Yeah, and, exactly. men. and you'd have people like Cindy Joyce's, whose grandmother was a tinsmith. 
But I see like women being tense said, no, 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 no. She couldn't possibly pick up a hammer. Yeah. And you know, like, but also if you look at her older documentation and her pictures, men and women work side by side. This polarization of gender is very different. Yeah. Um, most w- women would have worked in some sort of market setting up until 98 when you had the Market Traders Act come in, including my mother, which means they had an independent source of income that wasn't dependent on the, the, the male member of the family, yeah. which is slightly different yeah. in the wider community where women were told you can't work. Yeah. Within the, the traveling community, women were expected to work for the idea of like money brought you your own independence. And most of our community structures, even now, patriarchy is horrendous. The abuse of women is very much real in all parts of society. But within the community, a lot of the decisions are, are full made by men, but actually made by women. Yeah. And you have people like Dr. Hannah McGinley and stuff kind of saying, going, yeah, the community works for you because there's even a saying of saying, like, it translates really weirdly, but it kind of goes like, you can, you can banish a man, you can never banish a woman, which means men can go. You cannot get away with a woman from a family community, which means that no matter who huh? a woman is part of the community, there's no way to get rid of her. Yeah. You know, with men, you can kind of offer you, we don't want you to know, uh, which is quite risky when you're a small population. Yeah. Like uh, tolerance of, of, of uh, negative behavior might be slightly higher at times because people don't want to make themselves more at risk. Um, but, but the idea of like, if the woman is she, is she a jewel or kind of um, a Korea, no, the idea would be like wild as, as the sea. Um, which I think is a wonderful quality, actually. Um, there's, there's no way to extract them from the community because they're essential to it. Yeah. And that's lost. It that's is, lost yeah, that's the, not the, the discourse. Hmm. But it's not the discourse that you have about traveller people. It's very much like it's seen in the settled community as, oh, it's a, a terrible patriarchy, as if, as if there's <laughs> a <laughs> patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. The audacity. I go, are you not affected by it? You don't think you're Yeah. But there, but there might be subtle differences in our community, the idea of, Women having their own source of income was yeah. incredibly power, important and powerful. Of course. Uh, which yeah. means the weren't is under the thumb and foot of other people, especially men. They, there was a lot more independence there. That would be still problematic. And our older evidence shows this, and even like the older images and photographs yeah. and everything. But that never that understanding never migrated to common thought because people just stopped talking to Trevor's. Yeah. And then you said that that the, the did you say the, the Traders Act came in in 98? And so that obviously had an yeah, impact. Again, this is law and that that's really stopping traveller people. Oh, yeah. And it, it was interesting because it, it came in and I think it needed to come in. However, it didn't come in with any supports. Yeah. It didn't come in and say that some people might have literacy difficulties. Some people may have never run accounts. Some people yeah. like, like may have like utilised and moved money slightly differently. Even now, a lot of people will put their money into physical objects rather than into cash, which means see a lot of travellers mm. buying mason, jewellery, because that's that's something you can move and trade in different ways, and like it, with a little bit of additional support, we'd have maintained generations of travel women yeah. in employment, in a very legitimate way, um, because they were working legitimately under the Hawking licenses. Um, you know, but the, but the, that connection was just never made. You know? And I think at time it was brought up, but it was dismissed as not being important. Rather than going, you've excluded a quite amount of people yeah. um, from the from the market. And because your expectation of what they're doing isn't of worth to you. Yeah. And the fact that they are fulfilling an essential aspect of our society, which is trading. Yeah. Part of my, my research looks at um, access to justice. And, and one of the major parts of that um, is uh, there's different parts to it. But one of them is like substantive access. So that when you are bringing in laws that affect marginalized communities, you need to consult the marginalized communities and ask them or even in, even even better, include them in the lawmaking and say, what do we need to, to like you said, like, no one thought about literacy, or at least they dismissed it when they thought about it, when they were making this law, because nobody ever considered, because they never had to consider before the the experiences of like marginalised people, like migrants who maybe don't speak English, or people who struggle with literacy, or for whatever other reason, no one thought about that. And you see that all over, all over law, that no one ever thinks about the bottom line, about who is this going to affect the most Who's going to disadvantage mostly from that? Because the disadvantaged people aren't making the laws. They're not being included yeah. in it because of the socioeconomic structures that exclude them from society in so many different ways. I think it's very true. That's yeah, very true. it's really frustrating. And I know we are seeing it. I know there's um, uh, Senator Eileen Flynn, um, who's fantastic. Um, but like, it's so long coming to have somebody in in government. Yeah, but also one person. I, I one. One person. <laughs> yeah. and, and also, like, a lot of people refer to her, which just, you no. Know, um, it's like, it's like she's, a, she's a travel senator. It's like, oh, no, no, she's a senator. She's yeah. there for, like, she's like, she's not just there for travellers, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I mean, maybe part of that may be part of her portfolio and it's part yeah. of her passions. But the idea is almost, and, and what concerns me is often as well is that we have a traveller here now. None of us need to do any work on travellers. Exactly. We have a traveller, it's fine. Yeah. It's done now. That box no? is ticked. We did that one, didn't <laughs> yeah. we? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Got that one done. Yeah. 
And then I go, no, it's it's much wider. But I think that like there's the there's the the spoken language of of our of our words and narratives, and then there's the language yeah. of our bodies and the language of our policies mm. and how they filter through and how sometimes they're far more impactful than we give them the understanding of because sometimes not being named is so damaging. Yeah, exactly. And I do think as well, especially kind of um, even thinking about obviously with, with Gamma and Kant and stuff, like people underestimated the the amount of work and effort and review and consideration and, and, and like, I mean, research that went into us being established in the UNESCO and tangible yeah. cultural lists. Like that was, that was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and also what it brings up is that we recognise language and then, I mean, we had a Taoiseach even use it at one stage and recognises and everyone in the, the, the Department of, of Culture and Heritage talks about it and celebrates as an Irish language. It's not resourced. Yeah. It's not resourced. So like you're looking at a community of people who are under a lot of pressure around from many mm-hmm. multiple of kind of sectors and factors and their language is so very important to us that it has yeah. survived in such a way that we know it's of great importance and we're left to defend it in isolation on With top nothing, of everything yeah. else. You're given lip service occasionally. Going, oh, it's beautiful, it's interesting, it comes to another stuff. Like some of our words actually, there's two of our words that have come up in Om, which I just find absolutely fascinating. I didn't wow. really know it. One is Salami, which is the darker the night. It's not nighttime, it's like that moment of when the night is darkest, you know, so it has, and it comes in an emotional sense. So it might be, like, so it's almost that, like, it's like almost desolate nighttime. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it come, that come up in Nome and other ones come up in Nome. Even our word for Cunha um, um, uh, for priest, that actually refers to a Druid. Wow. So the word we use for, oh. for priest actually means Druid. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's all these kind of reasons you're not, and I'm going, that needs to be protected and savage and supported because that's a part of the Irish languages. That's a mm-hmm. part of the puzzle. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but people like have, have yet to have yet to resource it. I mean, even the Tom Tarry group, which we set up a couple of years ago, which is being it's a peer group, which we bring people together, intergenerational kind of um, settings, and most people start up going, "Oh, I don't really know that much." And then mm-hmm. you spend like an hour with people, and you realize and going, "Oh, I know a lot more." You know? <laughs> and and one way I always kind of say to people, is kind of going, "If you don't think you know much, much kind of going, think about your setting in your life and what you've heard. The best time." that gammon comes out among travellers is when we're arguing. <laughs> oh. Oh. That's when you get to get yeah, the great that, words. That's when there's no whole, like, that's when suddenly I'm as fluent. <laughs> I will find that word for you. you know? yeah. Rather than I go, oh, what's, the, what's that word now? You know, oh, like in the middle of an argument, I'll know it. You know? Yeah, you and, resort um, back to yeah, your true self when you're angry, don't you? You're yeah. just, you're, you're the very truest form of yourself yeah. when you're angry. Like my leash accent comes out when I'm arguing with my fiance. I'm like, oh, oh leash, suddenly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um, the, and and unfortunately, the, how the structures and that this value the importance of of Irish, yeah. Um, and it, they, and it does like they're obviously it's very problematic within the country. It's not properly funded, properly structured. How it's taught needs to be revised greatly. Yeah. Um, but even when it comes to to our language, it's recognised and it's recognised in Irish language, but doesn't fall where people consider under the protection of the Acts. Which I don't, I, I always ask, why not? Yeah. We didn't actually break down all the forms of Irish when we said Irish. We didn't say Kerry and Connemara. No, we just said Irish. No, mm-hmm. and yes. suddenly, why are we excluded here? Yeah, and so the, so there the there's the discussions that we're having. Should say yeah. kind of going, are you are you actually putting effort in to exclude us from these? And that's the frustrating thing. It's going thing. to take a long time. Yeah, and like standardization of of the language is, is an argument I'm looking forward to. I love parts like that. So <laughs> I think kind of going like they're going like like languages can never properly be fully standardized because people yeah. are people and people use it differently. But let's have that discussion. Let's have that exploration. Yeah. You know? And um, like even in different areas, like and there's odd, there's things that come up. Um, how you things like when my sister first visited us up here in um in South Dublin, um, she I I had to go to the bathroom and Dan said, no, I'm going to show her around because like we don't really know each other over really, over well, and she's after coming up now so. And she was walking around the house going, sham, 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 sham. And heard that as like a dismissal of like, I hate this. And our word for sham is excitement or it's wonderful. <laughs> so she was going, sham. And he was like, he, so when I came down the stairs, I go, I don't think she's happy. <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> that's, that's same way with my wife is, my, my wife is from Ballycastle and she uses sham much the same oh, way. Does she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and for instance, people who usually are from marketplaces would have a higher integration and time exposed to travellers. Yeah. Especially in Tum, yes. a lot of the, the Tum slang um, is actually from our language. And there's those words you've used, like Bjorn Fien, yeah. our language often in Limerick. Um, moniker, which is a legal term, means name. That's, that's for our language. Is that where We're that comes bloke. from? Yeah. No it, way. It means name. Yeah, it's from us. I did not Bloke's. know that. Yeah. We're bloke, bloke. from us. 
Um, so there's okay. all these kind of big aspects of Lang, and sometimes like different areas, like Longford, the word use the word lakes, which means madness or crazy. Yeah. Um, so there's all this kind of parts of where our language has gone out, and obviously we brought in lush to drink. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, kind of, you know, so that's one of our kind of our, our origin kind of, um, and also uh, we're, it doesn't mean our language isn't affected by things around us either. But we identify going that word is a word that we use, yeah, uh, historically used by ourselves in this context and setting. So there's a lot of those migration that people don't recognize, and then they do recognize the downplay it and go, no, no, mm. our cultures have affected each other. That's really yeah. important. It's re- and yeah. it's not to say you can't say that word, but just say kind of just recognize where it comes from. Yeah, exactly. You just you to, to acknowledge where it came from, where it's going. Yeah. That's um, um oh and you mentioned eleven dictionaries earlier and uh, I know my my listeners will be messaging me asking me what I was gonna <laughs> what ask. they are. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so um yep. depending on what you're looking for, so you'd have the work of John Simpson, okay. Charles uh, Leyland, and who very interestingly also worked uh, wrote the uh, the Gospel of Radio, so it was a really unusual man. You'd have the work of um Michael Oeda. Um you'd have one of the books I have on the table is Canty Macaulay, which is William Cawley. So that's Travel Pacific. Okay. And you have John Waters, um, which was more of an, it kind of it was highly influenced by the American kind of structures, but his grandparents were from Ireland, so he just nuanced it. You'd have the work of Mary Mariarty, uh, Mary Mariarty Ward. You, had, you know, you'd have Michael McDonough's work from from Navin. Uh, yeah, so like, I can send you on a, a full list. Yeah, and then and that's Please, stuff yeah. out there and about. You know, but you can find it at Google. Um, there's other mm. stuff that I'd love to get a hands on that either in private ownership. Um, in a restricted academic kind of setting, it needs to be either a member of the institute or, you know, and also when I was kind of going, like, even when it comes to research, I'm always really fascinated of how, how even with ethical clearance, how do, how do we have a structure that's especially the second people giving other second people permission to research travellers? Yeah. You know, even that kind of, you know, and, and especially going, like some of the information that we gather over the years is really interesting, but it's never benefited us yeah. at all. No, and then there's people, there's wonderful people like, what's her name? Um, why is that famous Irish writer, May Binchy? May Binchy's sister-in-law um, did her master's um, in Cantagamon. And wonderful woman, very passionate, and has remained somewhat kind of active within the kind of the, the travel political kind of settings around sporting organisations and stuff. But most people wouldn't even be aware of her work. Yeah. But she's no John. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was like how there, there, are, there is a generalisation of some of the language structures that the women will refer to certain objects differently than men, oh, even though cool. it's the same yeah, object. Yeah. So that you know, so mm-hmm. that kind of new ones, and so much so I was actually saying to someone that night, so I spent like um, I spent years thinking that when they go in social settings because of other issues, um, and this was events and situations that men and women can be quite genderized, and my mother would often say, okay, you go here because it's woman's talk, and I actually thought for a long time it was it was an entire different language. In fact, it is a little bit of a different language because she was like, and I know what she's referring to to say a chair is slightly different than what most people would use, and I always put down going, well, her family from here. My father's family from here, and there's like, they would say, Subline and Subla means young boy. This is the hill both parents will die on. Right? They're like, no, no, Subla, no, and he's like, Subline, and they go, no, no, that, that's a different word because Ian means, like, it means kind of obviously smaller, it's, it's more demonstrative. Um, so there's all this kind of kind of structures. But like the idea of, so there's always going to be natural in a non standard language, there's always going to be natural diversity. But then you have words that are very different. You have like, yeah. um, Puncher and Groupon. A coupon obviously comes from cup, which means it would mean cup, it would mean a coupon, and a poncher also means a little cup. Okay. Um, my father would say um, like poncher, my mother would say coupon, and then it might be from like so some of her family might be from, uh, from the Connemara area, so that would have influenced it. But um, but there's definitely a way of people start generalizing the language, kind of going how women would speak and use that those words. Other women use those words as well. Yeah. So, but no one's ever done a full study on it. So that's just my hypothesis of, of it. And I know people have touched on it, kind of, and there just seems to be enough evidence. But we've never had, we've, like, we've never had the full opportunity even to do a community audit of the language, yeah. which I would mm-hmm. love. You know, yeah. and part of the, the only way that would work is if, if it was travellers leading out here, because people aren't going to give up the language structures. Are exactly that's the only thing. And, like yeah. you said earlier, yeah. there's no. It, you, there was this like recognition, right? But like, what does it come with? It's lip service. It's nothing. You need to actually follow yeah. that up with cash. Like you need to follow it up with opportunities yeah. for people to actually go out and do your own research and like have it for yourselves because it's not like you said it's not you sitting in the archives in Dublin where you have to have a, you know to be involved in an institution and get like ethical approval and someone goes with you with a pair of nice gloves on them to look, show to turn the pages <laughs> for you and like mm. you know who's getting access to that like five people nobody's getting access to that that's no use yeah. to a community like it needs to be yeah. followed up with mm. actual action yeah and, and, and it does come more of a irritation to me especially when 
like the Ireland didn't really officially recognize um, ethnic status in the way we think it was. That yeah. Ethnic status had long been established. It's just that Ireland never made a declaration on it. Mm. So on the first of March yeah. 2017, the end of Canadian said it. So afterwards, like we went to the afters and thing. It was like it was. I mean, it it it, like, it it wasn't afters of like some sort of a horrendous event. Like it was like our I'd like to dry biscuits and orange juice. It's like on our on our way to a funeral. I know we talked about it earlier, but it was like good what this is. No, the kind of this is like this is the death of the denial of tribal ethnicity. Yeah. And um, because even back as far as like the 90s in Northern Ireland, which put pressure on the Good Friday Agreement in different cases, tribal ethnicity was recognised. So okay. Ireland was willing to put pressure on, on the equalisation of identity and rights um, when it came to travellers because it refused, even though Northern Ireland did under the Racial Act, refused to recognise travellers and ethnic minority. So and that's just, and is that how we, imagine how, imagine how sacred and holy we hold the Good Friday Agreement yeah. and how it protects people that are off it. Yeah, when it came to your right to be centralized and yeah. similar and fair. Mm. Yeah, when it came to travellers, they're like going, mm, mm, I don't know about that. And then you start looking, you're kind of going, yeah, so we're right, we were recognized in that way. And Kenny spoke in our language, you know, as, as part of the declaration, you know, like a borough Tereskala and an encarrier, which is like a good day for the travellers. And, you know, and even with the day he said that travellers, you're like, Top of the litter. Um, you know, but the whole thing would be you know, the sensitivities around that as well. So they, it's, be, it's being declared, it's being understood, it's being triumphed, all the departments love it. And uh, UNESCO said, oh my God, this is so important. And yet when it comes down to it, where's our resources? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? And part of it, they go, it needs to be led by the community. However, sports and structures need to be put in place. Otherwise, yeah. like, we're never going to be in a position to step into that platform because we're dealing with all this other stuff. All the constantly deemed this other stuff. So, um, like when people are at a greater distance, a greater effort needs to be um, presented. Otherwise, we're, Ireland is at risk of losing part of its own actual identity and history and language yeah. because of nothing more than bigotry. Absolutely. Yeah. You're so right. Oh, and we'd like to ask all our um, guests if, before we wrap up what their favourite Irish word is. Or but if you had a favourite word in Cantor, Cameron, that would be, that'd be wonderful too. Okay. Oh, oh, my, my favorite word actually is weed, which means tea. Oh. Uh, and, and the reason why I love this word um, is, you know, is that many years ago there was a little accident outside of the family home and my mother popped out and there was a local kind of shade, which we call a shade oak, which means um, the red coat of people, which is Gardaí. Um, and she was asking him, kind of going like, what's happening? And he was like, oh, this is happening. It might take a while. And just, no, they don't seem to be too badly hurt, but they'll be fine. And she said, do you want a cup of wheat? Not realizing. <laughs> oh, you She was talking mom. to a police officer, <laughs> mm. and he looks at her and says, "I will." So she goes in and makes it, and comes out, and before it got to her hand, his hand, she said, "Oh, because you realize what she said." But <laughs> 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 so like, and then later, like she, she's like, "Oh, she wasn't sure was he kind of checking her out, or that he knew that she was saying." But like, weed would be one of my favorite words. Oh, that's mm-hmm. nice. That's a nice story. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Do you want to tell us where we can get hold of your book, actually? Yeah, if you go to uh, Skin Press, that's S-K-I-N Press dot com, you get there. It's also available in ebook and audio. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Yeah, Why the Moon Travels. Do check it out. Owen Divergent, thank you so much for joining us today. We have to have you back soon because I I think we've barely touched the surface of of, of so many of the issues and and points we want to talk about. Yeah, thank you very much. And this has been fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, until the next time, slam for me. And slam for me. Mother Folklore is a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network and comes out every Friday. Thanks, as always, to Brian for producing and to Kirsten Scheel for the amazing artwork. Check out patreon.com forward slash Derek if you'd like to support the show. And good day and chat the Slon. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. You know, Mary's iPod, you're like, who's Mary? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. This train is for Killarney.